morning. Nice to see your smiling eyes. Uh, Pastor Don said in the first service, he said this is the first time he'd actually looked out on that crowd uh, since like in a long, long time. And he said, you guys look like a best looking bunch of bandits he'd ever seen. Uh, kind of get it. So, um, it really excited to talk to you this morning about missions. Talking to, about missions at Central Assembly of God is like fishing in a stock pond. You know, you guys just already get it. You love missions. It's, it sort of just oozes from you. It's part of your DNA. But I think we can do more. And I say we, meaning we, because Amy and I consider ourselves part of this central family. And we give uh, monthly through the church toward missions. And we want to see that grow, not only in the congregation, but in our own life and family. And so we're excited that twice a year the church does this because it's a reminder, it's a motivation for us to re-examine our finances and to say, God, I want you to do more. I want to live like John Wesley said, make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. You know, and so that's what I want to do. And so I think this week is a great reminder for us to do that. Before we look at God's Word, though, this morning, I do want to take just a moment to introduce my family. I travel a lot and speak, and very rarely do I have Amy with me, but today I do. She looks exactly like that now. Uh, I have, something has happened to me. I don't know what it is. Um, probably parenting. Um, but uh, this is my beautiful wife, Amy. She's up here on the front row. I'm honored to have her with me this morning. And uh, also honored to have my in-laws here, Ron and Nancy Kinlaw, uh, make Central their home. And so it's a pleasure to be here with them. So love you, Ron and Nancy. Uh, we have four kids now. Uh, they are grown and mostly gone. Uh, we have discovered what a boomerang is. Uh, boomerang is they have come two of them have come back but the, our daughter lives in Alexandria Egypt where she's an international school teacher uh, our oldest son and his wife live in Nixa and then our two youngest are with us right now one is uh, graduating soon from Southeastern University and the other one is a student at Mizzou so we have spent nearly 30 years actually 30 years this year as missionaries with the Assemblies of God we started out our wonderful, joyful journey in missions in San Francisco, California, working with uh, what was then called the Division of Home Missions, now U.S. Missions. We worked amongst the 100,000 Arabs that lived there in the Bay Area. So many Arabs in such a small area that we were actually able to live in a way where all of our friends were Arabs. We didn't, see, we didn't know a single Anglo-American. All of our friends were there, and that was great ministry there, but it was also a great experience for us and great training for us as we would later leave and go overseas and serve in the Muslim world. We arrived in uh, Alexandria, Egypt, where we studied Arabic, and then later moved to Amman, Jordan, where we spent 20 years serving and raising a family. It was a joy to do that. I feel like the greatest privilege God ever gave me is to serve side by side with men and women who suffered for their faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing quite like having somebody who is a dear friend who has been in prison for their faith and yet has a sparkle in their eye and a laugh, a contagious laugh, 
because the harder the world tried to press down on Jesus, Jesus just came oozing out. To be able to see that has been the greatest joy of my life. When I think about those 2,700 missionaries with the Assemblies of God that serve overseas and the hundreds of missionaries that serve with U.S. missions on university campuses across America, amongst marginalized peoples or amongst ethnic communities here in the States, I think about what motivates them to leave all that is familiar, family and friends, to go and do work, sometimes in difficult places. What is the motivation for that? Well, I can promise you one thing, it is not adventure. You know, the first time you arrive in a city where the bumper stickers ought to read, if you don't like my driving, get off the sidewalk, then, you know, adventure goes away really, really fast. What takes us overseas and what keeps us there this won't come as any surprise to you, is a calling. Now, the problem with words like calling is that they are mysterious. There's something about them, but they're God's word to our hearts that in some ways are intangible. And that's a good thing, because when you are in the middle of a difficult situation, working in a hard place, you need to know that you heard from God. But this morning, I want to sort of try to unpack the mysterious parts of a calling, and I want to look at five principles that upon which we build our calling. And the reason I want to do this is because I think there is a parallel between what causes a missionary to go and sustains them on the field and what motivates us to give and sustains us in that process. Because there, are, there is no A team and B team in God's kingdom. Every one of us is necessary in seeing God's global plan fulfilled. So this morning I want to look at five things. They are conviction, determination, generosity, delight, and glory. I want to unpack each of those. The truth is, Pastor Don, Pastor Carter, Pastor Jim gave me an assignment. The assignment was, we want to see the global footprint of Central Assembly grow. Not because we're trying to move up on some statistical matrix, but because Jesus longs to be glorified amongst every people group on the planet, and we want to be part of that. And so in order to make that happen, we need more resources. And the truth is, those resources are here, in this room. How do we do this? Well, let's look at these five things. First of all, conviction. Conviction is our, it's based on our beliefs. I want us to look this morning at Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In verse 13 of this passage, we see two very important ideas. We see the universality of the gospel and we see the exclusivity of the gospel. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who is everyone? Thank you. Everyone is everyone. The person that is the most despicable and despised in your mental categories is part of everyone. Jesus, the spirit of Jesus in Revelation chapter 5 describes everyone this way. Every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. There is no one excluded from the everyone. But the time of us going out after low-hanging spiritual fruit is gone. We must engage in places and amongst peoples where the gospel is not present. The reality is, is that the everyone we all love, we love the fact that God so loves the world. We love the everyone pieces. We love the universality pieces, but the exclusivity part is also part of the gospel. What do I mean by exclusivity? God loves everyone. Peter says that God isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But it's based on belief. God wants to see everyone saved. He sent his son. He paid the ultimate price. But belief in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross is necessary for salvation. Now, not only is that uncomfortable in an American cultural context, I'm going to be honest with you and tell you I wish that was not true. For a couple of reasons. One, I wish it wasn't true because of my friend Muhammad that I've had a 25-year-long relationship with who's still not a member of the kingdom of God. I wish belief in Christ was not necessary because I'd really like to spend eternity with my friend Muhammad. But as of right now, I won't. So that's why I continue to preach the gospel. On a second, more practical family level, I'm sure my in-laws would have loved having their daughter nearby and their four grandkids nearby for the last 30 years. If there had not been that exclusivity piece, there was no reason for me to live, leave family and friends and all that is familiar and to endure the pain and agony of Arabic learning. I will never forget sitting on an airplane and telling a man in Arabic that he needed to invite Jesus into his dog. Yeah. He said, I, I don't know a lot about Christian theology, but I don't think you mean that. <laughs> because the word for Arab, in Arabic for dog and heart are very similar. 
While the Bible is a missions book, it is sad that there are so many in our world today who are unaware of missions. Now, I I trust that that's probably not the case in a place like Central Assembly, but I don't want to take anything for granted, and I trust and hope and pray that there are new believers here. So this morning, I want you to look at a chart. So the Barna Research Group, the group that does research amongst churches, recently did a survey, and they asked churchgoers, so these weren't people who don't, these were regular churchgoers, have you ever heard of the Great Commission? 17% said yes. 25% said yes, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. 51% of regular churchgoers had no clue what the Great Commission was. The last words we have recorded of Jesus to his disciples before they go up into the earth, before he goes up into heaven, is to go and to make disciples of all nations. And they're unaware of that command and mandate. We must be convicted and hold as a conviction, as a deep-seated belief, the fact that God chooses to redeem peoples from every people group, but that the bridge between those who have not heard and those who are yet to hear, between those who are part of the family and those that God longs to be part of the family, is the one, the ambassador, who preaches the gospel. Spirit-filled, biblically literate, church-sent missionaries who will go forth and proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. It was this conviction that motivated New Life Church in Baghdad, Iraq, at a time when 70% of the people in the church were unemployed to start supporting an Assemblies of God world missionary to Saudi Arabia. They understood that they had an obligation to the lost, to the never reached, to those who live beyond the reach of the gospel. And they said, until we're able to send our own missionaries, we'll support yours. That's how deep their conviction was. How deep is your conviction? Secondly, we want to talk about determination. Conviction is based on our belief. Determination is what motivates our actions. We are determined to do whatever it takes to see Jesus glorified in the world. And when I say we, I don't mean Amy and I. We do mean that, but I mean we, all of us. We are determined to do whatever it takes. We see Paul's reaction in, or how Paul takes this matter into hand in Romans chapter 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated. Remember I talked about the church, New Life Church? They felt obligated. We have an obligation. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. This is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. 
Determination requires action. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save. But the power unreleased is of no value. The power simply proclaimed from a pulpit to believers falls short. The power is for the release amongst those who have not yet heard. That is the nature of the New Testament. Missionaries must go, but we as the church must send them. We talk about their call, but we are no less called. You don't get a get-out-of-jail-free card simply because God didn't call you to be a missionary. As a matter of fact, it takes more people to sin than it does to go, and all of us carry that mandate. It must be our priority. Paul says, how will anyone preach unless they're sent? I want to pause for just a moment, even though we're talking primarily today about giving. For some of you, I feel like the Lord might be speaking and saying, I want you to give, but I want you to do more than give. I want you to go. For some of you, it's taking your children and symbolically placing them on the altar and saying, Lord, if you choose to use them, then please do so. I'm 58 years old. A few years ago, I was sitting with my dad, who was a church planter and pastor for many, many, many years, retired now. I was in my mid-50s. I was sitting with him in his house in Atlanta, and my dad looked over at me, and he's not a real introspective, feely-oriented kind of person, but he said that day, he said, Mark, you know, I wouldn't do anything. He said, I, I'm so proud of who you are and what you do. I wouldn't do anything to change any of that. He said, but the truth is it hurts every day to not be around you, to not be around the kids. He said, but it's worth it. Convictions that do not lead to determination, that does not lead to action, are empty. And for us to be motivated, for us to actually do what needs to be done, then we are going to have to be determined and we are going to have to take steps, tangible steps. A few years ago, I decided I wanted to lose some weight. It wasn't about shape or anything like that. When you're my height, you know, if you gain five pounds, you're like a weeble. You know, and so um, I just decided I wanted to lose a little bit of weight, and I, I like to go to the gym, and so I, I started going a little bit more regularly and working out a little bit more, and I noticed I was losing a tiny bit of weight, but not near as much as I wanted to, and I, I hit this very hard reality. It wasn't just what I said yes to that was important. It was also important what I said no to. Like, I not only had to say yes to the gym, I actually had to say no to Andy's. <laughs> All right, I've gone to meddling. Why do I bring up something so silly? Because in order for us to actually do what God wants us to do, to give the way God wants us to give, we're not only going to have to say yes, we're actually going to have to say no. We're going to have to say no to some things. Not things that are sin, 
but things that aren't God's best. A few years ago, I was reading and I read this article about true north versus magnetic north. Some of you are scientifically oriented. I think this is an illustration that even Pastor Jim could, could appreciate. I discovered that there, you know, there's a difference between magnetic north and true north. And that as before we had GPS, that when boats were sailing across the ocean, they would have to regularly readjust course to make sure that their compasses actually lined up to true north. Because over the long haul, that became very, very important. If you were sailing out of Los Angeles port to Catalina, it's a very short trip. Whether you're going by magnetic north or true north is irrelevant. But if you're sailing out of Los Angeles to Hawaii and you don't adjust course, you don't make an adjustment from true north, from magnetic north to true north, the next time you hit landfall, you're going to be in Japan. That's the importance of making sure that your beliefs and your determination are actually set correctly. What difference does it, what good is it if you climb the ladder of success only to find out that it's leaning against the wrong wall? We must make sure that our ideas, our opinions line up with God's word and then those ideas, those beliefs, those convictions move us toward determination, move us toward action, move us toward saying yes to the right things and no to the less than right things. Next, we want to talk about generosity. Paul talks to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, I don't know about you, but I certainly don't feel rich. And I could say, you know, depending on where you're at in the world, Americans, a lot of Americans are rich. But the truth is that's somewhat irrelevant because we don't live there. Wealth and poverty are culturally defined. They're determined by context. So why do I bring that up? Well, for this reason. God is never going to hold you accountable for what you do not have. But he will hold you accountable for what you do have. What is in your hand? That's what God asks you to make those decisions based on. I've had the opportunity for all these years to serve not only as a missionary but for many years to lead missionaries and it was always my joy to see that missionaries were some of the most generous people I ever met not only do they live off of the generosity of others but they themselves were incredibly generous I'm thankful that here at Central one of our values is open hands that we want to live lives of generosity a couple of years ago, I was sitting in the city of Ouagadougou. Sorry, I had to throw that one out. 
Um, that just makes you feel like a missionary to say Ouagadougou. Um, I'm sitting with a bunch of church leaders, missions leaders for the continent of Africa, and we were talking about how we could grow missions efforts across the continent. And I said, how do we figure out how to mobilize places where they're not churches that are not sending missionaries? I said, you know, I kind of scratch my head because I look at a country like Burkina Faso, which the United Nations ranks as the fifth poorest country in the world. I said, how is it that the Burkina Faso Assemblies of God has a hundred missionary units? And then there are countries in the southern part of Africa where they are much, much more wealthy and they don't have a single missionary unit. And one of the leaders of one of those churches from the southern part of Africa, from a wealthy country, in a wealthy church, sitting in that room, said, oh, Brother Mark, that's an easy answer. I thought, oh, (laughs) enlighten me. He leaned across the table and he said, it's easy. They love Jesus more than their own lives. We love our own lives more than we love Jesus. Our love for God not only means that our convictions are set in our mind, that our, act, our determination turns into action, but it also means that it motivates our generosity. Fourthly, we long for God's delight. The idea that God smiles on me makes me happy. How do I know God smiles on me? Well, in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, this is God saying, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I don't think I'm doing misjustice, injustice to the text to apply that in a broader sense of not just those who are going, but also those who are sending. Because there is no A team and B team in the kingdom of God. The senders and the goers are equally important. In that passage we looked at earlier from Romans chapter 10, verse 12 through 15, four times you read the word how. How do they preach? How do they go? How, how, how? And then we get to this one. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I long for God's delight. I think God was delighted back in 2019 when the Ivory Coast and Togo Assemblies of God generously responded by sending large offerings to help the church in Burkina Faso during a time of extreme persecution. Some of our brothers and sisters there were killed for their faith and ministry to Jesus. And these two churches responded in generosity. And I think when they did that, they incurred the delight of God. One of our pastors in Madagascar, with a deep love and appreciation for the missionary community because they had brought the gospel to their island nation when COVID broke out. This pastor who owned a farm took vegetables and fruits from his farm and traveled across the country to the capital city where our missionaries were when he heard that they had closed down the local markets because he wanted to make sure that our missionaries had food to eat. I think when he did that, God was delighted 
in his actions. When we make decisions to forego the next big screen or the next little screen so that we can give more to missions, I think God is delighted. I think when our hearts line up with God's heart, he is delighted. I know as a human father, nothing brings me more joy than when my kids share my values. And when our values line up with God's values, he is delighted. I want God's smile on my face, on his smiling face on my life, and I know we want that on Central Assembly of God. So we have a conviction that we want to see every people group reached. We are determined to do whatever it takes to make that happen. We want to live and give generously. We long for the delight of our Heavenly Father, but more than anything, we long to see Jesus glorified. This is our purpose. I have a friend, one of my closest friends, who lives in Amman, Jordan, where we lived for years. He's a pastor of a church. He's from a Christian background. He's not from a Muslim background. Small percentage of people in the Middle East are Christians. Remember, that's where Christianity started. But he has a very strong outreach ministry to Muslims. Recently, during a difficult time, I wrote to him. I knew he was having a difficult time. I wrote to him and asked how he was doing, and he said, I'm doing okay. He wrote me these words. Whenever I'm not well, I try to pray for other people. It helps me keep focused. Also, when I see how blessed I am in so many ways, I try to remember those who are suffering. I have a friend, he said, from a Muslim background who cannot live in his own home because his wife and grown kids won't talk to him. He has been kicked out of his own house because of his faith in Jesus. He goes, here I am enjoying a good wife and children. This man is leading a bunch of other Muslim background believers in a meeting every week in a rented room that he pays for out of his own finances, which are limited. What a fantastic work. Most of these believers have no jobs. They've lost their work and their homes because of their faith in Jesus. One guy who's been a believer for 20 years has lost every job he's ever had, so he has to sell newspapers at traffic lights just to survive. These people give me perspective, my friend said. These men and women are living, loving, and giving for the glory of of Jesus. Why is it so important that we live our lives with the glory of Jesus as our true north? Well, the crowd, the multitude before the throne of God in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, say it better than I can. Looking at the Lamb of God, who gave his life for their sins, they cry out in loud voice, 
You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Jesus longs to be glorified amongst the Moors of Mauritania. He longs to be glorified in places like Timbuktu, Mali. He longs to be glorified amongst the Hindus of northern India. He longs to be glorified amongst the Buddhists of Thailand. Jesus longs to be glorified amongst every people group on the planet. And for that to happen, we must do our part for Jesus' glory and for His alone.